Okay, we're recording. Cool. But I'm not hearing it. You're not. Oh, there it is. You can hear us good? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Welcome to We Are All Americans, conversations about how family stories are passed down from generation to generation and what it means to be American in the context of multiculturalism, immigration, military service, Black Lives Matter, white privilege, and indigeneity. The next few episodes were recorded during an oral history recording workshop at the Reciprocity Los Angeles Artist Retreat, organized by Asylum Arts and the Institute for Jewish Creativity at American Jewish University. Here is episode four of season two, a conversation between myself, Michelle Jackwis, and Rotem Rosenthal, chief curator of American Jewish University and the director of the Institute for Jewish Creativity. Great. So maybe we could start with um, you telling something more about the grandparents that came from an area that no one is really sure where oh, that is. Oh, okay. I have yeah. a similar experience with my family, so yeah. I'm wondering about that. So I always uh, remember, I just remember hearing the story about one of my great-grandmothers that came on a fake passport. And I used to think, actually, that it was... So whenever I say... When, usually when I talk... I should qualify this. Whenever I talk about my family, I'm almost always talking about my maternal side because that's what mm. I know about. And if I... Otherwise, I always sort of specify my father's parents or my father. So on my mom's side, my grandmother's mother is originally who I thought was the one who came on the fake passport, mm. Bobby Pauline. And... Um, I just remember meeting some cousins who had said, oh, yeah, we have the ship manifest for the boat she was supposedly mm. on, but wow. her name's not on it. And so I always thought it was her. And then I have, now I'm getting it all mixed up, but I have some, I remember conversations with my grandmother's sister, my great aunt, who had said, yeah, she she's from Latvia. And then... But I, or first I thought Russia, and then she was like, no, she's from Latvia. And then um, my grandmother's brother, when I had been talking to him a lot about the letters I found, mm-hmm. he was like, no, she, my father was from Russia, and my mother was from Austria. She's from Vienna. And I was like, oh, okay. Then I had made, years before that, I had made, during the May Day marches for immigration rights, I'd made this poster that was Bubby Pauline standing in front of her apartment in New York City that says, my great-grandmother came here from Russia on a fake passport. And my cousin, who's my great-aunt's daughter, was like, that's not true, <laughs> but like never really explained it. So then when I was starting to do this project, I posted to Facebook like sort of how the inspiration for it and a cousin on my grandfather's side said, no, she's not from these places. She was from, that's Bubby Ida, and she was from mm. um, Lithuania. And it wasn't really a fake passport. It was just like a passport for a deceased person. I would call that pretty fake. Yeah, I think that's fake too. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's, well, we're sitting here in, um, how should I call the Wapner room? Uh, we're sitting here in a decorated hallway that feels like a lodge, mm-hmm. almost like a, like a disconnected lodge. And I say disconnected because we're actually surrounded by 2,700 acres of land that was purchased for this campus 
by a group of Jews mm-hmm. in, um, um, well, they officially opened in 1947, but the process started a little bit earlier. And the reason why this campus was so important, the reason why I'm bringing this up, mm-hmm. why I think this is relevant, is because um, this was almost like a safe haven for Jews. Mm. Because if you think about what it means to be a Jew in the 1940s in the US, mm-hmm. that means you probably didn't have a lot of places in your public life to express your connection to this community, yeah. which was still a very much community of immigrants. Um, to me, where this is interesting in relation to what you're saying is that I feel like today when we're thinking about the, the Jewish American community, I don't think immigrants is the first thing that comes to mind. No, um, no, it's a definite. And I think why I became really interested in this was also I feel like the current immigrant wave of immigration, primarily from Latin America, but also from parts of Asia and other parts of the world, that there's, I'm noticing a similar racism that is happening. Yes. Where people don't want them here. And I see parallels to the turn of the 20th Absolutely. century, right? What I didn't mention earlier is that this is actually, and I, like, I don't know how, I, I don't know how to um, verify what I'm about to say, but yes. I have heard more than once that this campus is the largest piece of land um, owned by Jews outside of Israel. Wow. How big is the campus? 2,700 acres. Wow. Which I think, I mean, even, even if it's not true, just the right. fact that we're able to say this, I think is pretty, yeah. pretty wild. Well, and, and you had asked, you had said that you didn't, when you think of Jews in America now, you don't think of immigrants, right? Exactly. Not, not necessarily and, think of immigrants, and I also say it as a... As an Israeli, like I feel that maybe if we're thinking about Jews in America, we make this separation between Israelis that have, that have come yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm really interested in, I think, finding the parallels between different waves of immigration and different mm-hmm. generations of immigrants. Mm-hmm. And I was, um, I think, I feel like a solidarity with the people coming now, like, for instance, in, at the border of Mexico and the U.S. with the migrant caravan or whatever you want to call it. I, I've always felt oh, like people Oh, I think they're rolling come, down the hills now. <laughs> I feel like people come here to have a better life, regardless of what time period they came or what country sure. they're trying to leave, um, unless they were brought unwillingly. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I think often, so I see it as a as a parallel, and I see so much, you know, when you look back at the boats that were turned away from Ellis Island and um, the signage that said Jews go home, and then also just like the Chinese Exclusion Act and the Japanese internment camps, I just see this as keep repeating. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I have to say, I, one thing that comes to mind is... Um, a thread of immigration that I started thinking about only after moving to LA. Mm-hmm. And I'm very interested in that story, and I'm not sure how to tell it yet. I really want to try and find a way to tell the story of this community. So within the Israeli waves of immigration, specifically to LA, and mm. I'm sure you know there's a very big um, 
Israeli community. I in didn't LA. actually know that until coming to this retreat really? and meeting you all. I have not, yeah, I really didn't know. Oh my God. How, I mean, I have like, like a few like, colleagues at Otis that are Israeli, but I didn't uh, really know that there like was a big community. It's like 200,000 Israelis that are based in LA. I had no idea. Yeah. And um, I hope I, I get the number right. Mm. What I'm interested in is, is a particular um, demographics within, within that community which I wasn't really thinking about before I met some of them in person, which mm. is, uh, uh, um, so the Israeli immigration to LA, if you can call it that, um, became more well known within the ni- during the 1970s. Mm. So the 1970s in Israel, 1973, there's a war mm-hmm. um, that was very traumatic for Israeli society because it wasn't anticipated. Mm-hmm. It, it erupted on Yom Kippur yeah. uh, when we were at our weakest. It uh, rampaged for many months mm-hmm. and it really, it really unveiled a lot of the problems within Israeli society. And afterwards, it's the first time when you start to have waves of immigration outside of Israel. Yeah, because you think, I think of at least the founding of the country is immigrants, right? Exactly. Or colonizers, depending on your point of view. Well, but or refugees yes, that or were refu- brought it's there. Sort of like, yes, all, all of them. <laughs> all of them. And I can share that within my family, within my family yeah. history, I have all of them. We yeah. can talk a little bit more about that later. <laughs> so, but within Israeli society, there was this differentiation between uh-huh. Ashkenazi communities yes. and Sephardi and Mizrahi, probably Mizrahi communities. Mm-hmm. Apparently, and I wasn't aware of that, a lot of Mizrahi men found their way to L.A. because the war was so traumatic Mm. and they felt that they were so shunned upon within Israeli society Mm. that they just couldn't stay there. And there's a story to tell there about a a very specific demographics, a very um, traumatized demographics that just fled the country and made much better life here. I mean, the, their instincts were correct. They could mm. not have accumulated wealth the way that they did here the same, the same way in Israel because they were, um, um, the, you know, the social hierarchy mm. kept them at the bottom. Mm. Mm. And after the war, they were like, I, I'm not doing this anymore. And the Mizrahi are the ones that were more local in the beginning, anyway. Yes, right? although That's there were Mizrahi communities that were also brought in uh-huh. um, from different Arab countries. But, but from the Middle East, not from Eastern Europe. Exactly. So it's like, yes. That's interesting. Absolutely. That they would Unless they would that. come from Algiers or Morocco. Right. But, but yes, yeah. they were closer to home, quote yeah, unquote. Yeah. But they were always disregarded by, by the Ashkenazi establishment, of course, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So I think that is super interesting. I didn't realize the extent mm-hmm. of which, because those stories were never really told in that way within Israeli society. Uh, because they weren't there anymore. They weren't there anymore, so. and there was no room to talk about that hmm. within public discourse, but there is room to talk about that today. Yeah. So what brought your family here? So actually, it's just me and my husband. Mm-hmm. We are, you know, our kids are the first generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, we decided to move to the U.S. to follow my, PH, my Ph.D. aspirations. When I was, when I was um, finishing my master's, mm-hmm. my professors told me, in Tel Aviv, you know, um, Roy and I had a very good life. Like, there was no, 
no reason, mm -hmm. really. You weren't escaping. We weren't escaping anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my professors told me, listen, you did both your BA and your master's in Tel Aviv University. Um, and within Israeli Academia, a different place. Exactly. Yeah. And also within Israeli Academia, it's, it's um, expected that you will have at least one of your credentials from an American university. Oh, really? Yes. Not even a European? You, could, you could come from a European um, um, university, but they usually prefer American. Oh, interesting. It, it's not really discussed out in the open, but it, it, it is the way it is. Like, hmm. Especially if you have both your BA and your master's from the same place. Um, and they really supported me, and they really helped me. And one of my professors, who's a woman, um, a very successful woman, told me, listen, you're at the right moment. You guys don't have kids yet. We will help you do what you need to do. Do it. Go get them. Go get them, girl. So I went, because yeah. my husband is very supportive. And he yeah. was, we were able to find a way to kind of relocate while still um, maintaining all of our connections to yes. Israel. It's very different to be an immigrant um, at this day and age, your connections to the place that you leave behind mm -hmm. um, could be very different. Um, but we weren't really sure what we were getting into. Like, when we moved, we subletted our rented apartment in Tel Aviv. Mm. We left half of our stuff there. Mm -hmm. The tenant that came after us was a friend. Um, so you felt like this is very temporary. Yeah, we, we kept telling ourselves. I think I knew, but we kept telling ourselves, Let's see how this goes for the first year. Which is smart. It's a mass. I mean, I think about when I moved across the country. Yes. From, sure. I was in Rhode Island at the time, and I moved to Los Angeles and rented a truck and towed my car and drove. And it just, that felt massive. And to go to another country. And I did Another have, continent. My, yeah, another continent. My sister did the same. She, when she went to India, she mm -hmm. kept a storage. She sublet her place in Brooklyn. She kept a storage unit in Brooklyn. Eventually got rid of the lease but only, I don't, I think only cleared out the storage unit like a couple years ago and she'd been in that India makes sense to me. for like five or six years at that point. That makes sense to me. So the, like we, Roy um, kept his job in Israel mm. because he was able to work long distance and he kept going back and forth. His commute from upstate New York to Israel was the same way that people commute from like San Francisco to New York, like all the time. It was very difficult. Like he went back and forth? Back and forth, like at oh least once every two months. No, that's worse than going months. to San Francisco. Yes, it because is. That's because it's crazy, yes. Is, that's crazy. Yes, exactly. It was, so, but it was uh, part of our process of figuring out where are we, is this working mm -hmm. for us? Yeah. We were at a very small town in upstate New York. If you come from Tel Aviv, it's a world of difference. Mm -hmm. and, um, Which you were aware of Binghamton? Yes. Yeah. And for Roy, mm -hmm. especially because he didn't have anything to connect him to Binghamton, um, it was a culture shock. But as it, was, it also had benefits because it was also the first time that he realized we had like a three-bedroom apartment ginormous for $750 a month. So he was also able to start his music studio mm. for the first time ever because those things are crazy expensive oh, in Israel. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there were ups and downs. And after two years there, he also started a master's program in New York. Okay. And we slowly, really slowly shifted our lives to the U.S. And when I was pregnant with Elliot, 
that was when we kind of we were like, okay, this is real. Like, we're here. We're not going anywhere. Our kids are going to be American. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, we we are at a very long immigration process because when you come for a PhD, your initial visa is very long. Visa. Oh, the um, PhD student visa is longer than the regular. It's a J. We got a scholar J- visa. It's J one and J two, and we received oh, it for like okay. seven years. Oh, because you come for a PhD, so they yeah, cover. Yeah, they expect it'll be longer. Okay, that's. But yeah, because I, I think I thought J one normally is just. It depends on the program. I guess it depends on how long your school program is. Um, but oh. before that ended, we already moved to LA for this job mm. that I'm mm-hmm. um, currently occupying. And, um, you know, we moved again, got another kid, <laughs> um, and we feel like we're delving as the years go by. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We delve deeper. We feel more connected. We feel more a part of what is... You know, we're not Americans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what that is, but we're but mm-hmm. we're a hybrid of whatever that is. We're absolutely yeah. immigrants, yeah. and we yeah. can talk more about that. Um, but at the same time, so there's this is an election day in Israel. Yes, and Roy has been listening to all the news channels from Israel since this morning. Like every morning, he listens to radio from Israel. And can you vote absentee ballot? No, they don't. They don't, they don't want our votes. <laughs> They're like you've left. They don't not they. Hmm. It's pretty obvious. The way the Israeli system works is that you can vote absentee only if you work for the one of the consulates or the embassies. Ah. Because it's the, it's the government telling you to be abroad, not you. Exactly. Selling, okay. So you might be more inclined to hmm. vote for the government. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, <laughs> they don't really want our vote. That's so fascinating. That makes total sense. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a very different system. system. Yeah. But you know what's different about Israel? Israel um, um, election day is a day off so that you can actually vote. I know, yeah. A, a lot of countries do it. Most, most of the people in the country yeah. vote. Um, um, unless unless um, Bibi is trying to get reelected and he tries to suppress the Arab vote. But that's a topic for a different conversation. Mm. Um, <laughs> so... We are in the midst of this process, and we're still trying to figure out what does it mean. And because mm-hmm. of where we are in the immigration process, we haven't been back in Israel for over a year, which is the longest that we haven't been in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is the first time that I'm actually missing Israel. Mm. How often were you going before? Once or twice a year, at least. Okay, yeah. Um, Have your kids gone? Elliot has already, he's four, he's already been there, I think, four or five times. Okay. Juno hasn't been yet. Yeah. Um, we had family members coming here to see us, but it's not the same thing. And we always say, like, you can never know. Like, mm-hmm. maybe in a few years we'll decide to go back. Mm-hmm. You can never know. And what languages are you speaking at home? Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Elliot responds in English, it. but he understands Hebrew. That's good. And what is he speaking? He is speaking a very, very delightful Hebrew, uh-huh. um, but mostly English. Uh-huh. And sometimes we pop quiz him. How do you call ice cream in Hebrew? Oh, and he's good. like... Um, he has all the information in his head, yeah. but he's very subconscious about we have to talking. Practice. Yes, we practice yeah. all the time. Um, mm. And but, like, but for us as Israelis, we're also a part of a very long lineage of immigration. Mm-hmm. And as I told you earlier, like I have all the spectrum of, from colonizer to refugee in mm. my mm-hmm. um, heritage. Just to say something brief about that, 
my paternal grandparents fled. Um, nobody's really sure who was occupying the area at the time. <laughs> it was either Romania or Russia. Mm. It was around Moldova. Okay. Um, um, not Moldova. It was uh, what was called Bessarabia. No one's really sure if it was yeah. Romania or Russia okay. at the time. They met on the boat and fell in love on the boat and came to Palestine at the time. And, and what, what year was this? It was, I'm going to say, probably, it was, right, as far as I know, it was right before the war. It was 1930s. Okay, so, so, so Israel had not been founded. No, 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 no. It was, they, came, they came to Palestine. My father was huh. born in the kibbutz in 1943, and he was the second. Wow. Um, um, so they founded the kibbutz together. Uh-huh. My grandfather was the treasurer for the united um, movement of the kibbutzim in mm-hmm. Palestine and later in Israel. On my mother's side, um, my grandfather was um, a descendant of an alkali, which, he, which is a, a, a Sephardi family mm-hmm. that fled the Inquisition. Ah. So that, like, yeah. that further back. And he was born in Jerusalem. The family had been there for centuries. Hmm. Um, and he, I thought about him when you were speaking earlier because he fought for the British Brigade during the war, the Second hmm. World War. Hmm. And he was um, a POW for six years. He was, in, he was captive for six years. Where? I'm not sure. Huh. No one really talks about it. Um, Europe. I mean, somewhere in Europe. Somewhere in Europe. <laughs> somewhere not good in Europe. And then they told him afterwards, thank you for your service. Would you like to have a British passport? Mm. And he said, no, I'm a Zionist. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we all resented him for that. Ah. <laughs> um, yeah, because, the, I mean, the little history that I know about that, like, Britain was trying, Great Britain was in they were involved in the Balfour Declaration, right? So they were. Balfour saying, like, was a member of the British Parliament. Yeah, so that was 1917. Like, I, I, I always sort of read that as, we don't really care where they go, just get them out of this country, right? <laughs> and it was sort of like, we'll help start this yes. project if you if it means the Jews are not here. It's interesting. That's what it felt like to me. It's a contentious document because there are a lot of. Um, historical interpretations mm-hmm. around this. Mm-hmm. So, for the Zionist movement, it meant one thing. Yeah. For the uh, resistance movement, it meant another. And and I think that's also where the parallel that I see between why uh, evangelical Christians have a have have a different agenda in supporting Israel than Jews do is how I feel. Uh, well. That's a whole different story. Yeah. Evangelical yeah. Christianity, <laughs> because their connection to Israel is through Jesus, mm-hmm. and the way they understand the role of the Israelites in the context of Jesus and, and the, the second, second coming. coming. Yeah. So that's a whole yeah, different. That's a bigger. That's a different but, conversation. But, <laughs> but where, where, but where those worlds meet is actually around that time, the Balfour Declaration time um, in Palestine. There are a lot of messianic groups Mm, mm -hmm. that are making their way to Jerusalem to wait. Yeah, yeah. And they are able to create significant changes in the local cultural landscape. One of them, one of those groups 
um, created one of the largest photographic archives of the era. Mm. Um, and they're super interesting because they were disconnected from Zionism. They were disconnected from the Arab, Arabs communities. And at the same time, they also had access to all of those communities. Mm-hmm. So their photographic perspective is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so those kinds of interventions in the landscape also have like a very, they're called the American colony. They're st- it's still one of the most beautiful houses in Jerusalem. It's now a hotel. Hmm. And um, that's where those kinds of groups kind of play into the greater scheme of things mm-hmm. in pre-state Palestine. Um, yeah, and this is all based on movements. Um, movements, geographical movements, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, historical movements through the landscape. And Palestine is such a fascinating test case of that. And, you know, when, you, when you're thinking about the image of the wandering Jew, mm-hmm. I'm slowly realizing that my generation of Israelis um, continues that tradition yeah. in a yeah. very different way. Yeah. I want to, given that we only have a few minutes left, I want to get back, or no, no time left. No time left. We're Briefly done. We want to get to this question of what it means to be American. And I think as in your situation where you already said, I'm not American, but I'm some hybrid, maybe, but your kids and knowing what their lives will be like growing up here, what do you, what do you think about that question? Well, here's what I think about this question. Um, Thank you for asking, Michelle. Here's what I think about this question. The reason why America was always fascinating for all of us is because the premise of national identity here is um, radically different than European nationalism that also birthed Zionism. Mm. So the question of race here is completely different than the way it is. It, it plays out within Europe and mm-hmm. um, Palestine and later in Israel. This place was supposed to be a place open to all immigrants because it is a place that recognizes the fact that immigrants are needed for building the nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it always resonated in such a fierce way across the world because this is where you're welcome. Hmm, So for me, being an American means being immersed in a multicultural, multinational, multiracial society, Mm -hmm. even though it's not easy, Mm -hmm. even though there are conflicts, even though there are painful histories Mm -hmm. to be hashed Mm -hmm. out between those communities. But that's the reason why we're all here. Yeah, yeah. And today it's going uh, all across the world in a very different direction. But I try to remain hopeful and keep my eyes on the work that we do in order to make sure that spaces for discourse and encounter will remain mm-hmm. for my kids, for your yeah. kids. Yeah. That's probably a good place to end. Thank you so much. Thank for you, Michelle. Having this conversation with me, Rotem. Thank you.